get started. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, I come to you now as your servant, asking that the words I speak this morning would not be mine, but they would be yours. Asking, O oh God, that those who hear and receive these words would receive them not only in their minds and in their hearts, but deep in their souls, O oh God, that place where you and they go. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit, that I would do your will and not my own. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so today's gospel comes from the 12th chapter of John, beginning with the first verse. Six days before the Passover, Jesus entered Bethany, where Lazarus so recently was raised from the dead and was now living. Lazarus and his sisters invited Jesus to dinner at their home. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those sitting at the table with them. Mary came in with a jar of very expensive aromatic oils, anointed and massaged Jesus' feet, and then wiped them with her hair. The fragrance of the oils filled the house. Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, even then getting ready to betray him, said, Why hasn't this oil been sold and the money given to the poor? It would have easily brought 300 silver pieces. He said this not because he cared two cents about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of their common funds, but he also embezzled them. Jesus said, let her alone. She is anticipating and honoring the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you. You don't always have me. And then word got out among the Jews that he was back in town. And the people came to take a look, not only at Jesus, but also at Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. So the high priest plotted to kill Lazarus because so many of the Jews were going over and believing in Jesus on account of him. How many have heard that last little line talked about in church? Did you know that after Lazarus was raised from the dead that they wanted to kill him? That's the first time I found that out. Amen, yeah. I mean, we never talk about that. And this is why the raising of the dead is a really, really big deal. Think of something that you know in Christianity that if it happens today, it just causes folks to go bonkers. Can you think of something? I'll wait. What happens in the name of Christianity that causes other Christians to go crazy. For me, it's Jesus is the only way. Okay. So you're on the other side of that street. What is it that happens within the scope of Christianity that other Christians go crazy over? Come on, folks, you know this. You've heard it all your lives. 
You've heard this all your life. If you don't do such and such, you can't possibly be a good Christian. If you don't give to the church, if you don't give to the church, you can't possibly be a good Christian. And that's exactly what this story is about. It's about whether you give or you don't give. It's about what are your priorities. And I would submit to you, if your priority is worth worrying about the amount of money you give to the church, your priorities are wrong. Now, I am sure that there are some evangelists out there and people that are building big mega churches that are going to be more than willing to say, no, pastor, you got it all wrong. It's a prosperity gospel. Jesus wants us to be rich. It's about giving to the church so that the church can do all the work that it needs to do in the community. That is BS. That is somebody trying to get rich off of your soul. Don't forget the one that says the more you give, the more blessings you'll have. So it comes Oh, my God, yeah. You know, and, and, and I've seen, you know, you, we've all heard the stories. The there was night. that guy that got the plane. It was $6 million for a plane, and he had to accept it because the congregation said he had to accept it. I remember back when I was in Toledo, the first <coughs> church I had there, some evangelical pastor got a Mercedes Benz, and when they asked him, <coughs> because there were people sleeping under the bridges in Toledo at that point, why he took that car, he said because he had to or he couldn't pastor the church. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, this was easy. A teaching moment. Now, this story, though, just for sake of transparency, how many have seen Jesus Christ Superstar? Seen the opera? Seen the movie? Okay, so you know in the movie that great scene where Mary anoints his feet, right? And Judas is standing off to the side. And, and they have that great song about how she shouldn't be doing what he's doing. Listen, that's, that's a misconstruct of, of church theology. This is not Mary Magdalene. This is not, i.e., the prostitute. Okay? I, we, I don't know how or why in the church when we talk about Jesus being anointed by this particular woman, everybody decided that it must have been Mary Magdalene the prostitute. This is Mary and Martha. This is the one, remember, where we do the story where, where, if you remember that story, Jesus is at her house another at their house another time, and Mary, Martha, gets upset with Mary. Why did she get upset with Mary? Mary was at Jesus' feet listening, and Martha was serving. Yeah, and Martha was busy doing the stuff that she was supposed to be doing. Where have we heard that story before? Oh, yeah, the prodigal son. The son wants a relationship with God. The other brother gets pissed off when it happens. Because he's staying there doing all nice. of his duty kind of stuff. This is a matter of priorities, folks. And let me say this to you very, very clearly. Whatever your priorities are in life, if the priority is not about having a relationship with God, then you might want to think you re rethink your priorities. 
And no, that doesn't mean you have to come to church every Sunday. No, that doesn't mean that there's a formula prayer. No, it doesn't mean you've got to go to confession. No, it doesn't mean that you've got to open up your Bible and read it from cover to cover. What we are talking about here is being willing to practice what you believe. If you have a relationship with somebody, you talk to them, don't you? So if you've got a relationship with God, don't you think you ought to talk to God? Don't you think that every once in a while, you ought to think about what it is that God would like you to do for the day? But see, there's a lot of stuff in our world that gets in the way of that, amen? You know, going to work in the morning, that business, that business meeting, that computer program that's got to get out. Hey, I got to get a hold of these drugs or I'm not going to get through the day. I got to have this drink or I'm not going to get through the day. And what it is, is that we haven't caught the flavor of this story. See, because I think that we're all taught to look at this story just exactly the way Judas did. Except the hint that, that John doesn't want you to really pay attention to Judas is what? He calls Judas a thief. And he says, and oh, by the way, he might have been the treasurer for the group, but he wasn't a very good one. He was stealing. I sat there and I thought, of, damn, I've been involved with, what, two bowling leagues that have had treasurers that were thieves? You know, I don't know what, why, I don't know why that is. But anyway, there's lots of things that we could say about Judas. Yes, we know that this gospel was written way after the fact, right? Because John makes that pretty obvious when he tells us, oh, by the way, Judas is there, and he doesn't like what's going on. But here's the deal. In actuality, we all run our lives this way. We all run our lives this way. I cannot tell you how many times when I've sat down with somebody in my office and we're going to do this whole spiritual thing, and the first thing that comes out of my mouth is I look at him and I say, when was the last time you prayed? And they just kind of look at me and they get all sheepish. Well, I talk to God all the time, Pastor. That wasn't what I asked. I asked, when was the last time you prayed? Well, I, I, I've been busy. Where have you heard that from before? Those of you who have mothers that live in a different town. Why haven't you called? So it's the relationship. Amen. It's right back to the relationship. Judas asked a question he did because by this point, by the way, if you were paying attention to this story, you understand when this is. This is, this is like the, the, the Sunday before Jesus will be arrested. Like that Thursday, he's going to get arrested. So he knows what's coming. And everybody around him knows that he's acting differently. Right? So this becomes a story then about relationship. And Judas didn't get it because he was too busy seeing the movement. Think about that. The movement. How many times have we heard people in the church say we can't afford to do that? We're not big enough to do such and such. Or we can't, we can't, we can't. 
It's not about what we can or can't do. It's about whether or not we're in relationship with God. If we're in relationship with God, there is absolutely nothing that we can't do. Now, some of us get caught up in tradition. I get that. I am the biggest agreever of tradition there is. When I first started out in church, my first church was in Toledo. I had a staff. I had three, four deacons, um, and, I, and I was hard on those deacons. The way that I wanted them to uh, present themselves and conduct themselves on, on, and in their service to God. I had this one new particular fella. Uh, how many here, because um, I don't want to leave you out of this, how many of you know what the leather community is and and all that stuff. You understand there is such a thing as a leather community? I'm not familiar with that. But, okay, uh, I'll give you a lesson after church. Okay. Um, at any rate, the leather community exists, and if you have any experience with them at all, they have some interesting attire, amen? You know, they got these things that they call harnesses, and these things that they got, I forgot what the thing is, they, uh, what is it around it? Then they have collars that they put around their neck, not like this collar, uh, but leather collars and, and, and chaps and, and, and things like that. And sometimes, and sometimes they expose more of their back end than you want to see when they're participating in one of these clothing things. This young man was on my staff, was into leather. Okay, and we'd had this this whole thing about inclusivity and how everybody was welcome <laughs> to serve at the table. Challenged you, did he? <laughs> and he said, and and I wanted all of my students at that point, deacon candidates, to learn how to consecrate communion. So it was his turn, and I got scared because he looks at me and he said, "So I could wear my leather." And I looked at him and I said, most certainly not. You are not going to wear leather during a church service. Sorry, not going to happen. And he looked at me and he was hurt. It was, I mean, you'd have thought I'd have beat him with a stick. And he said, well, then this church isn't as inclusive as you say it is. And we had this fight, as you might imagine. He left the meeting. He's thinking about quitting. Well, at that time, Reverend Troy Perry was the, the, the founder of MCC, which is what I was the pastor in that church. And Troy Perry and I were good friends, such good friends that I could pick up the phone and get Troy Perry on the line. Now, for those of you who don't know, maybe I'm telling a secret on Troy, but Troy is a huge leather queen. The man is into leather. Knows the whole community, knows all the ins and outs. So I pick up the phone and I call the Reverend Troy Perry and I explain to him, I've got this guy on my staff. I want him to consecrate communion. He wants to serve it in leather. And I don't want that. And Troy Perry started to laugh. Now, for those of you who have ever heard Troy Perry or had anything to do with him, he had a laugh that would just, it was infectious. And it was loud. I thought that the phone lines were going to burn down. He was laughing so hard at me. And he said, do you understand, Paul, that there are two types of leather dress? There is leather dress, and then there is formal. And I said, no. Really? 
He says, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're a deacon candidate who respects you and loves you and has love for the church. And Jesus in his heart is not going to come to the church in bar leather. And chaps with no pants under. <laughs> I would say, brother, you might be judging him. I didn't know what to say. Except I want you to know that when he showed up to church, you could see your face in his shoes, in his boots. He had a leather tie on, white shirt, leather vest, leather chaps over a pair of leather pants, a pair of white gloves to handle the communion stuff. That day, and just before that, I tell you the story because I was Judas. I was more concerned about how things needed to look rather than recognizing his relationship. Peter Victor Shepherd tells this story of a missionary surgeon that he meant who happened to be rather gruff and to the point, which is why I like this story. On one occasion, the surgeon was speaking to a small group of university students about his work in the Gaza Strip. He was telling us that we in North America were fat cats and knew nothing about gratitude. Nothing. And on one occasion, he had stopped at a peasant hovel to see a woman on whom he had performed surgery. She and her husband were dirt poor. Their livestock supply consisted of one Angora rabbit and two chickens. For income, the woman combed the hair out of the rabbit and spun hair into yarn and sold them. For food, she and her husband ate the eggs from the chickens. The woman insisted that the missionary surgeon would stay for lunch. He accepted the invitation and said he would be back after lunch after he'd gone down the road to see another post-operative patient. An hour and a half later, he was back. He peeked into the cooking pot to see what he was going to eat, and there he saw in the pot one rabbit and two chickens. The woman had given up her entire livestock supply her income, her food, her everything, so that she could show her gratitude for the surgery that he done. He wept unashamedly. Yes, Americans have no idea what gratitude is. And when we stand back and look at people and question them about their relationship with God, we're no better. So I'm going to give you five things. If you want to take notes, you can. To help you with the rest of Lent. Are you ready? First thing. Recognize your strengths and your virtues. But resist complacency. There's nothing positive in thinking that you are devoid of good. But there's also a danger in being satisfied with what you have and not willing to do more. Number two, 
accept the need to work and struggle spiritually. Michael? Actually, both Michaels. Salvation is a free gift, but a vital, intimate relationship with God does not come effortlessly. You are going to struggle. Relationships struggle. Athletes know their abilities, and they know that they must work to keep those abilities sharp. Third, study the Bible. And by the way, I'm going to tell you this as your pastor. Quit reading the Old Testament and forget about Revelations. If you want to learn, you want to study the way of Jesus, then read the Gospels. That's where our conversation ought to be, is about what Jesus is teaching. Number four, continue in prayer. Be willing to confess your failings and open your life to the transforming power of God. Don't forget to listen as well as talk. And number five, and this is probably the biggest one, and it's the hardest one for me as the pastor of this church to get past. Don't fear change. Don't fear change. Change is the name of the game. It is the way we are created. We are only open to God when we are willing to change. Growth is the process of changing. And that process is not always pain-free. If you notice, in the middle of the word growth is the word ow. O-W. Growth. Ow. Giving birth is one of the most beautiful things in the world, and yet women look at their husbands during the middle of that child giving, telling them that they're never going to touch them again. There's going to be some pain. So my friends, what we regard here today in the church and in our personal lives as a problem is really an opportunity. It is a challenge. It is our opportunity, folks, to develop our relationship with God and quit worrying about the minor things. In other words, it is time for us to major in the majors rather than majoring in the minors. God bless you.